Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your RV lifestyle digital home. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile RV studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot. And we're no longer speaking with you from our at-home studio. (laughs) We're speaking with you from our away-from-home studio, the motorhome, which is located in our away-from-home home home on the second campsite that we recently purchased in June June. at the Great Outdoors in Titusville, Florida. And we wish we didn't have to turn off the air conditioning so that we could make the podcast quiet, but unfortunately we did. So if you hear... the dripping of sweat, sweat onto the microphone, <laughs> you'll know what the problem is. Oh, yes, we are well, learning things about weather. We imagine that most of you, as you're listening to this, are experiencing what I would call real autumn. Uh, when we look at the forecasts up north, we see temperatures yep. in the Chicago's 40s to 70s, yes. depending on where we look. And We read the posts about people f- having to uh, turn on their furnace because it's cold. And here we have made a very strenuous note to ourselves to never come to Florida <laughs> in September, and I'm not even so sure about October ever again yes. because well, it is ungodly hot and humid here, and I feel more housebound here than I ever do at home in the winter. Well, that's because you're in an RV too, and that's one of the big advantages of having a fairly large RV is, is that you can go inside and keep yourself occupied without having to worry about uh, what's going on outside. If you're in one of these small bees or a, a small trailer... But even You'd in, have to sit outside. Even in a big motorhome like this one, um, yeah. I RV because I want to be outside. Exactly, exactly. And, we and, want to enjoy the, the air surroundings. And when I get out of the door in the morning, in the morning, my knees buckle because <laughs> it midnight. is so humid <laughs> and hot here. And uh, we yeah. envy those of you who are looking at uh, fall colors mm, and yes. bright blue skies. I mean, it looks pretty here when I look out the window, but it isn't nice And to last be year at this time, we were heading off to Rocky Mountain National Park, and we had a great time. It was cool. We saw great leaves, great leaf peeping. Uh, other years, we've been to New Hampshire and New England, New England area. And so we know what you're experiencing, but you don't come to Florida in September. Everybody looks at us and says, well, what did you expect? <laughs> I expected it to be warm, but come on. They said, no way should you come down here before the middle of October. So we are leaving before the middle of October. So bottom line is, you better do your leaf peeping now, and uh, don't come down to Florida until the winter. When, of course, we know that the weather is nice, and that's why people come to Florida. But the leaf peeping season is long, depending on when you have time to break away for a few days or a longer trip. Uh, We're going to include a site that gives you national park references that are especially good for leaf peeping. And what we found in our longest search for autumn color is that this is not Disney World and that you have to build in some extra time to hang around and wait for the leaves to change colors. It's not always predictable, but well worth the, the wait. And I think virtually the whole state of Florida is warm now. It has been unusually warm, but it's so humid. We think about, would we rather be in Arizona? I yes. don't know. Most but Arizona's been 100. This humidity just is killing me. It's just, yeah, it, oh, it's bad. It. And that's that's typical of this area. And on a personal side note, when we left home, um, <laughs> one of our first destinations was to visit my family, who were conveniently located in the Carolinas inland, but right about at the point where Hurricane Florence came in. So yes. after our hurried and worried uh, two-day visit, we took a quick pl- trip west to get away from the hurricane. And this made me think a lot about choosing campgrounds and how my criteria for choosing campgrounds changed when a hurricane was coming. Usually you like to be in a campground with a lot of vegetation and trees, and that was the last place we wanted to be when the Hurricane Florence was coming inland. And a lot of COE campgrounds are in her area. We looked at those too, but when you're camping near 
water and you're hearing about 30 inches of rain, that also seemed like a bad idea. So all of a sudden, camping in parking lots was the way to go, and that's what we did until we got down here in Florida and passed the storm. So we left right after Labor Day, as we mentioned on the last podcast, and that took us to Elkhart, where we had a little bit of uh, motorhome work done, and then we were heading down to... South Carolina, where we had the motorhome checked up at Gaffney, South Carolina, one of our favorite places to visit because it's the home of Freightliner who makes the chassis. And if you have a motorhome like ours, you need to go in there every once in a while in order to uh, have them do the thorough 46-point checkup where they do all the lubrication and put in the filters and all that sort of good stuff. We make an appointment there because it's close to Martha's relatives. And and they had a lovely tree-free camping place in their parking lot, too. We made a nice reservation in South Carolina to spend a week or so with Martha's relatives, her sister and others. But uh, we didn't uh, have to, we didn't do that that because of the impending storm. And so we stayed with them as long as we could feasibly uh, feel safe. And then we... headed 200 miles out of the west way. so that we could come down south on 75 and through Atlanta and all that sort of good stuff. Uh, we uh, put a few extra miles on the motorhome, but we felt safe about doing it. So we arrived here Much down at early. our Florida <laughs> accommodations uh, at our site that we bought here in June, and we're staying on it. Um, we intended to be here a little bit early, but not uh, the three weeks early we, that we got here. So one of the other that's reasons- the way it goes. That's RVing. One of the other reasons why we're here is that we about to take a trip to Europe, to Lisbon to begin with specifically. And I remember when we planned this, that the flights to Lisbon were cheaper if we went from Miami yes. than if we went from well, Chicago. Well, and we can surprisingly enough fly directly from Miami, whereas we couldn't from O'Hare. So we thought, oh, what the heck, we'll just take the motorhome <laughs> south and we don't have to worry about right. winterizing. Always um, a consideration. Bad idea. So living. <laughs> learn. Don't come to Florida in September, even though it sounds like the rest of the country is having nice weather. So rain. So since I brought it up, I should say that we are taking a back-to-back-to-back cruise, which means three separate cruises that we have stapled together. The first one being through Overseas Adventure Travel, a favorite travel organization of ours, on a small ship that will travel from Lisbon to Barcelona along the coast. And then to come back to the United States, we're taking the largest ship afloat at yes. the moment. This will be 6,500 passengers. Which will lumber. Everybody's going to say, oh my God, how could you possibly stand being 12 days on a ship that's so big? Which will lumber across the sea <laughs> to Miami. Well, across the Atlantic. Whoa. And then just because we can, we're going to schlep our luggage a few doors down at the port to a third cruise ship where we're going to take a little Bahamas cruise. So we're going to be on a brand new cruise ship that's sailing for its first time across the Atlantic to the United States for its inaugural trip in from Miami. Also and during hurricane season. Nah, you don't have to worry about that. Those ships just sail around the hurricanes. And we'll be docking at the brand new Miami cruise port, which was built for the ship. And we will be enjoying that all the way from here, Titusville. So how are we getting to Miami? We have rented a car. Yes. And this is something you need to think about if you are, we do this at home also, that if you are going to the airport, you might want to think about doing a one-way car rental, which for us, we're about four hours from the Miami airport here in Titusville, and we're renting a car for the one-way rental for about $40, which would be, which is a lot less than any other way to get there. Our nearest airport would be Orlando, which is about an hour away, 50 minutes, and to get a limo or something to go to Orlando. It'll cost over 50 bucks. So we're able to rent a one-way car rental to wherever we want to go, a one-day rental, and we're dropping it off in Miami Airport, and it's only costing 40 bucks. and then we're doing the same thing to return. So the transportation between here and there is very reasonable, and the flight, as we mentioned, was uh, more convenient than flying from O'Hare. So that's why we made the mistake of coming to Florida in September. But we won't be back until 39 days, so we won't be back until uh, November 12th. So the next podcast, you will hear us on the high seas. On the high seas. Won't that be exciting? And you'll hear the waves in the background, and uh, we will be telling you all about uh, exciting adventures. So we go from a 100-passenger ship to a 
5,500 passenger ship, and then the third one is on about a 3,500 passenger ship. So we have some exciting comparisons to make in the not-too-distant future. But we are very happy to have you here on podcast, uh, the RV Navigator, and we hope that you'll go visit our wallpaper calendar page uh, so that you can download the calendar for October and November. And for those of you who are really planning ahead, we should add that we have also made a reservation to go to the Tampa Super Show oh, yes. after the holidays. The last few times we have been there, I have been amazed how many of you we have encountered. Some of you said hello yes. because you recognized our, our voices. voices, and some of you were more uh, proactive in terms of rendezvousing with us, which yes. was great fun. So we do plan on being there again. I don't know if we're going to stay for the whole show. It kind of depends on you and how interesting it is. <laughs> Not you, Me. not you, Ken. <laughs> you, the listeners. Ah, if all of them come and say hi, it'll motivate me to stay longer. Okay. Uh, the Tampa Super Show is very nice. Uh, a lot of people talk about the Hershey Super Show uh, as being the biggest in the country, and maybe it is, but I'll tell we you. We found Tampa, it disappointing. Yes, but I'll tell you, we found Tampa to be an exciting place to visit, uh, where we get to see all the new motorhomes and all the new trailers and fifth wheels, and, and everybody is there to see the latest and the greatest, and I'm sure there will be some exciting new things to see. We'll let you know. But that's mid-January, like the 16th of January or something. It runs for close to a week. But if you're in Florida, it's well worth uh, taking a day or so. And, of course, you can camp there if you want to. But plan ahead. Well, you don't really have to. Yeah, our friends couldn't get in. It was Well, from what I read now that they've kind of maybe changed their policy. And although we're staying in the official campground, you can park in the parking lot for 20 bucks a night and do your own boondocking thing. As long as there's space. There is space. Uh As we saw last time when we were there, there were people parked all over in their motorhomes. I just remember when they were disappointed. I know, I know, but that's that's unusual. Okay, so some topics about RVing that we want to talk about. One of the themes of this show, I think, is going to be that buying an RV is not like buying a house. Do you agree? Very much so. <laughs> we watch these RV shows where people are buying their first or their, sometimes their their RV of a lifetime, and we see them primarily looking at the floor plan, and that's the way you buy a house. And that's what you see. Right. Well, yeah, they look at the glitz. <laughs> I even saw one the other day. That's two fireplaces. <laughs> Of course, either one really works. We know many of you love them, but we hate artificial fireplaces. That's just anyway. Us. Why you need two fireplaces? I don't know. But the bottom line is, is that a lot of people shop and they look, they walk in and they see the floor plan, and that's what they fall in love with, and that's what they, that's the buy criteria that they use to buy it without looking at the running gear. And so many times, people have big problems after the sale because the running gear is not up to snuff. It doesn't do what they want it to do. Uh, one of the problems that people have is the electrical system. And just as a preface to this, you understand that when you buy a house, you primarily walk in and you say, oh, the floor plan is very nice, and I'm looking at the bedrooms, I look at the closets, and everything is good. And you, and you don't have count to, on the electricity, and you don't ever even have to think about it. You th- the electricity is taken care of, the water is taken care of, and the sewer is taken care of, and you don't have to even think about it. But when you are in a motorhome or an RV of any type, the big three are up to you, too. And so you need to spend as much time looking at those as well as the chassis. Uh, What do you mean by big three? Water, electric, and sewer. And, of course, you have to worry about, you know, the tires and the towing and how you're going to transport this thing. That's important, too. But today we want to talk primarily about the big three. The big three. And the big E, which you understand completely. No, I don't... (laughs) I don't relate. <laughs> she, underst- she understands nothing about the Big E. But I put a chart uh, onto this month's website that uh, I stole, but it's a very nice chart because it it separates for you, uh, with a picture of a motorhome, it separates for you the things that are 12-volt because you actually have two E-systems in a motorhome. You have the 12-volt that runs off of batteries, and you have the 110, which works off of the, the pedestal when you plug in. And it is entirely possible that one will work without the other. I've so many times we've said, they say, well, I've plugged in, but my lights are getting dim. And why is that? 
Because the batteries are going down. And why would the batteries be going down? Because nothing is charging them. Right. The lights work, but I can't use my microwave. Time to go out to eat. (laughs) That's not what you're supposed to say. You're supposed to be diagnosing things right now. So what's the problem there? Shore power, I would say. Shore power, of course. Or your inverter is not working. So all of these these other factors are built in that you need to understand what what works off of what. And and another thing that a lot of people uh, think about is solar. But solar does not run anything. It charges your batteries. So if you're thinking about running your air conditioner, your batteries just don't run the air conditioner. And they maybe will run some 110-volt things uh, with an inverter, which changes changes the 12 volt to 120 but other than that you're going to be in a bad way and if it's 100 degrees in florida and you want to be parking in the shade the solar panels are not going to be very helpful anyway small problem so somebody says buy the 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 portable ones that you can take on a wire but then you need a big fat wire so that's the problem so this little chart though if for those of you who are a little bit uh, electricity fearful fearful i'm confused confused about electricity well does this chart help it's color-coded. It doesn't tell me whether I can cook dinner or not with both <laughs> air conditioners on. That's what I want to know. So what do you need to do that? Then I ask you. <laughs> and with 50 amp, can you do that? So far, well, I've made the coffee ahead of time. That was one of my strategies. <laughs> Okay, so that's portable electricity. There are no real final answers. And how about the sewer system? Well, there's an article that you're going to attach a link to that talks about the fact that um, RV designers don't put the black holding tank directly below the toilet, which would make the most sense because then gravity would be your friend. And they put it all sorts of places depending on what else is going on with the floor design of the RV. And every time you have a a twist or a turn or a bend, you have a possibility for the toilet paper and other nasty stuff to pile up and make <laughs> dams, which are very hard to deal with and get rid of. But your husband does it. After the fact. We've seen over the years many proposed remedies, the ice cubes in the tank and stuff like that. Personally, I would say we have not experienced any of that no. stuff to be very helpful. Well, we haven't really needed home, it. I might feel more confident to use chemicals, but in an RV. I don't think I wanted to do that either. So I don't know exactly how you find this out, but you need to well, think about before easy. you buy an RV um, where things are <laughs> Would going. Would like to go to take a tour of our, of our, of our where toilet? Do, where do things go after they leave you? <laughs> where do they go after they leave you? Well, you have to understand, first of all, that the sewer system is not like your sewer system at home. You're carrying all that sewer stuff with you, whether it's gray or black. And for years and years and years, RVs have had gravity drop-down toilets. So the black tank is directly below the toilet, and you don't really flush. You just open the valve, and the stuff goes down into the tank, unlike your toilet at home. Where you flush it, you push the little lever, the water goes swish, and then it goes down and you never have to think about it again. In your RV, you have to think about it again because it's going to go down into a tank. And depending on how the tank is is connected, uh, you might have to be worrying about it piling up down there and not coming out in a very swift way. So... One of the recommendations I would make is is that when you're shopping for an RV that you flush the toilet. Now, that doesn't mean that there's a lot of water happening here or there is any water. It can be dry, but you open the valve and look down... (laughs) And you look down, and if you don't see a tank, don't buy it. And never buy a toilet that has a motherboard running it, because that was a big mistake on our part, too. Now, just as a small caveat here, there is another type of toilet called a macerator toilet that has a pump that pulverizes all the stuff that goes into the toilet and then pumps it into a tank. So those are a little bit different situation, but you'll find those in high-end RVs. But if you don't see a tank, and and it's a big hole, you know, it's a four-inch hole, if you you look down there and you don't see a tank down there, and because there are bends in the toilet, you are going to have problems because there's nothing to wash the stuff down into the tank. And if they have put the tank someplace where the to make an S curve or just whatever kind of shape the 
pipe is in, it's going to clog up and you're going to have problems. And of course, I'm stating the obvious that even at the other end where you can see the sewer hose as it goes into the ground, you need to pay attention to the flow of the slope at that point because you don't want stuff right. to back and up there need, either. Right. That's and why people buy those little stupid legs to put their sewer hoses on to have the angle be their friend and gravity put it into the ground. Well, and I find that many people have, uh, they don't look and see how they access the valves to open their tanks and that they can't find it. And some people have said, my tank is overflowing, but I've pulled a valve. And then they find out that there's another valve. These are all things you need to find out before you buy before you take ownership of it. Before so that you, you make a smelly mistake. Before you make a smelly mistake because it's going to be with you for a long time. If that's inconvenient, it keeps getting clogged up, that's going to put, really put a kind of a kibosh on your fun and excitement of, of RVing. And you may gross out your fellow campers as well. Right. So... So much for the sewer system and looking at it. How about the water system? Well, I know that you've been going crazy since we've been here um, (laughs) with all sorts of water testing. In the past, we have had warnings in some parts of the country. I'm thinking of the Rio Grande Valley in Texas that the water was highly salty, and they sold water everywhere and encouraged you to pay attention to that. And we started using an osmosis system at that point to make sure it removed everything from our water. Um, but osmosis is quite uh, water-consuming. What did you say? They five, used up five, five to gallons to make a gallon. And so there were places where that seemed like a bad idea. We've used a Brita-type pitcher that supposedly fills some of the particulate matter out. There's a filter in our uh, refrigerator, just like there probably is in your refrigerator at home. So there are various possibilities to try to make the water as clean as possible, but none of them are... Well, we have the the filter on the hose that comes in and then we have another whole house filter that I have a clear plastic holder on it so that I can see when the filter gets brown. It's so disgusting and happens fast sometimes. In all honesty, our filter at home, we have a reverse osmosis system at home. That's disgusting too. And it gets very disgusting in a very short period of time. I think it's pure, but it's not as clean as it could be. The only real way to get absolutely pure water is with reverse osmosis or distillation. And we have a distiller which we bring along with us. And yesterday I had an interesting experience because I bought a new water tester. So I bought a total dissolved solids, a TDS meter, as well as a pH meter pH measuring the acidity or alkalinity of the water. Pure water should be a 7, which is neutral water. That means that it doesn't have any acidity or alkalinity. I used these meters to test the water, and I found out that the total dissolved solids in our water here was over 300. Which, which is, is uh, fairly high, which is kind of the absolute maximum that you'd want to have. The uh, pH was okay. At home, our water is similar. After it goes through the RO, it goes down, down from 300 down to 20. Now we put it through the Brita filter. Didn't help much at all. The refrigerator filter it was a little better. 20 went down to 380 or, or 280, sorry. So it went down some. So it filtered out a little bit of stuff. But without a meter, you wouldn't know these things because the water looks clean, it tastes okay, but it just doesn't have, uh, well, it just has stuff in it. Now, can you filter out everything? No. Do you want it to be softened? Well, soft water just replaces some of the chemicals in the water with other chemicals. So that really, just to make it, it work better. We like soft water at home, but uh, it really isn't any clean. What about the ultraviolet sterilizers? You have links to that. Right, yes. Uh, The ultraviolet sterilizers are another step because if you have biological agents in your water, uh, bugs and things, this will kill them. And uh, that's uh, an interesting effect of ultraviolet light. It causes them to explode. And from what I saw... (laughs) So that's that's for biologic agents, but not chemical. From what I saw on your site that you linked to, um, most of these are quite expensive. We're talking about hundreds of dollars here. So that um, I think in most cases the water is okay. Should you buy bottled water? Most bottled water is just RO, reverse osmosis. It's not really pure or it's spring water and who knows where the hell that came from maybe you should take your testing equipment and do do some of our bottled water Um, a whole new level of uh, 
scientific inquiry. Oh, the RV navigator as a scientist. Okay, well, uh, you want to think about your water, but I think just filtering it uh, and assuming that it's okay as well could be lead to problems. But we've we've uh, we generally drink out of our tanks, and we generally uh, we use the distiller when we are really worried about the water. Like I don't think we've ever had any repercussions no, from not, RV not water. No, not that we've noticed. One of Ken's favorite mantras <laughs> is use it or lose it. And he he tells me this over and over again, and I say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it really was powerful to me when we left on this trip how, how true that actually is. Uh, we have a slide that is kind of bulky. We've taken it in to be repaired Twice. by uh, a reputable dealer who I think tried and thought he had fixed it. But inevitably, when our motorhome has been sitting for a while... Put the slides in. And we first want to go somewhere and put the slide out, it ain't going to happen. And uh, luckily, Ken has learned a, a tricky hot wiring technique where he crawls in the basement and does Don't you something. Yes, I get zapped. And, and it makes the slide move. But strangely enough, after we have driven for a few days and put the slide in and out no, for a few, a few days, days and changed locations, it suddenly comes back to life and works as it should. On this trip, we also we're starting to use our washing machine, which we have not used since last early spring when we were out west. And I couldn't Ooh. get through a load without getting error codes. She was very mad. This machine is quite pricey and, and new. fairly new, yeah. but certainly out of warranty because we bought it a while ago and then didn't use it. That's how RV life works. Well, last year, time and, we um, We played with the power. We played with the water. Every time Ken wants to check the hoses, he has to take all of his clothes out of the closet. It was very annoying. And all of a sudden, the washing machine has been cooperative. Well, it started to work slowly. We could get it if you life. whacked it or if you did a couple of other things. Well, we don't it know would, why. It would work. And then the next time it would kind of uh, think about it, and then sometimes it would come on midstream, and then and then as we continued to try it out and continue to exercise it, it's now perfect. working perfect. Perfect. So there was something in there in the water valve that was sticking. And it could be because the water was old, it rusted, who knows? You know, uh, I had winterized it, of course, in between times, and the antifreeze could have caused a problem, or the former water that had been in there. So you've been drawing some comparisons to um, RV purchases and home purchases, and I'm trying to think back to our house and whether being left unattended for long periods of time, which also happens... Uh Does that cause those problems there? I can't think of any. Anything anything that you don't use is going to have problems. I can't think of any. Could indeed have problems. We get stuff like spiders and mice, but not mechanicals. You don't know when you wash the machine, you come back and it might not work. It has never happened. Yeah, yeah, but that doesn't mean it won't. I mean, we had, in in our previous motorhome, we had the... the jacks that didn't work because that's, that's not my point. My point is, would this happen in a stationary home as opposed to Absolutely. a traveling home? I, I, we haven't experienced it. Well, you, why? Most, most people aren't gone for a long period of but time. We but, are. but you use it more than you don't use it. Here, you don't use it more than you use it. I don't know if that's true for us. For a lot of people, it for is. For a lot of people, what we're really saying is, is that don't be afraid to use your stuff. And trying and, uh, to make an excuse to use it even when you don't need to use it. And, we took the motorhome out in June for a little trip to the Indiana Dunes just I always to, to exercise things, but I didn't do any laundry right. while we were on that and short trip. We should have. Yes. We should have run the laundry. Yes. And the other issue we had, I don't know if this is a use it or lose it, after our trip to Indiana, there was still some water left in the holding tanks. Uh-huh. And when we first started this trip, we started consuming that water or was it diluted with water from our house yeah it was diluted it was because i filled it up at home it was like pond sludge water it's well water i think it tasted bad i took a shower my hair smelled like pond sludge Uh, usually when we pond sludge usually when we leave home it's been the winter and you just take out the antifreeze and the water uh, once again i think that's when it just sits and it and i putrefies in hot sticky weather like this which is why i emptied the water tank now because we're not using the water that was uh, the water tank gross. water. So who knows what? But overall, is. we we use all this stuff. We try to use it a lot. Uh, the more I read some of the postings on uh, the social media sites, there are people who don't use anything in their RV. 
Yeah, they like sleep. anything with water. They just use the bathhouse and wash uh, the dishes outside. Uh, and, and cook outside and because they want to keep it so that it's almost new. Well, like, that, yeah. I don't know how viable that then is. Why, our feeling is then why have it? Yes, exactly. We definitely use all the components and try to keep them exercised so that they will work again. You know, that's why I exercise the generator regularly and make sure that everything works in good shape so we have it when we need it. While we were still at home, uh, Ken went to the doctor, and as is often the case, he had to wait for quite a while to see the doctor, and that gave him the (laughs) opportunity to watch at least three times an informative slideshow about chocolate. And in our family, I love chocolate. I could sit down and eat a bag of M&Ms. I like it so much. But this obsession is for me, compounded by the fact that I'm allergic to chocolate, so I don't eat it very often. It has bad effects on me, and when I do, then I pay for it. Well, what do you think about when you think about chocolate? That I it's think, delicious. Well, that it's candy, and and it's going to cause you to get fat. and it's no, it not, causes me to get sick. Well, and it causes, I mean, everybody thinks about chocolate candy. I never thought about chocolate as a medicine. So what did you learn? Well, I watched the slideshow at the doctor's office of all places. I can't believe that. And they were extolling the virtues of chocolate, that it's high in fiber and that it's good antioxidants and has many. It's kind of like aspirin. It's got many. Which they have now debunked. Which I probably shouldn't be saying. Which they now have debunked, too. You never know. Oh, the medical field. But of so course, frustrating. It's, but it's, anyway. it's not the milk chocolate that's good for well, you. It's the very high they, percentage cacao chocolate that's And they good said, for you. right. So they were extolling the. I mean, there were 10 slides in this PowerPoint presentation that was just continuously playing on the TV screen in the waiting room that were extolling the virtues of chocolate for the medicinal benefits of chocolate. So I thought, oh. So I went home um, and did my Google research on chocolate, and lo and behold, it is pretty good for you. As long as you have it in at least 70% cacao. cacao. So I went to the store, (laughs) and believe it or not, you can buy various concentrations of cacao in your chocolate bar. 100% cacao, which is probably the best for you. And they say one ounce a day, between one and two ounces a day for the average person is uh, a decent dosage. your candy bar dosage for today. So I bought uh, a 92, an 80, a 72, uh, and then 100% cacao just to see what the difference was. And? And you are getting younger and fitter every day. And I am because so, I'm eating chocolate. And I'm so well, pumped because I love chocolate. And I tried a little bit of the 70%, 60%, and I had ill effects from it right away. So bottom line is, is that I have tried uh, the 100%, which I just can't. I just can't quite eat it. Um, and eating it is what you would have to do. You'd have to just literally chew it up and swallow it. Uh, that wasn't very pleasant. So I went down to 90, which obviously has a little bit of sugar and a little bit of milk or whatever in it. But that was tolerable. So I'm I'm just going between whatever I can buy at the store, between 80 and 90% uh, cacao. I have one ounce a day, and most of the bars come in about three and a half ounce bars, so I have a quarter of a bar a day. And I'm going to be very healthy and I'm not going to get fat, fatter from uh, eating the cacao. Am I? I don't know. It just seems like something strange. Oh, I should have asked the doctor about this. How are we going to measure your improvement? By my mental condition, <laughs> I'm going to be much sharper. <laughs> Will you start playing Scrabble with me? Scrabble. Yeah. I can't play Scrabble at all. That's what I was afraid you My tennis say. game hasn't improved, so I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Well, so Dr. I... Wiseman recommends <laughs> at least For all our 70%. new navigators, we'll get together and we'll have a chocolate party. Uh, but I, I must admit that this chocolate is not very good. It's not something you just sit down and pop pop in your mouth, and I have to, you know, eat it. It's not uh, it's not an overly pleasant experience. While we're talking about medical issues, as old people often do, um, the new Apple. Oh. 
watch came oh, out right. with a lot of diagnostic health stuff on it. We've read some anecdotal cases where people have had what arrhythmias, of or course, yes, fell unconscious, and the, the watch, watch that actually, they were wearing right. um, issued an alert, and right. lives were saved as a result. So, because I bought a brand new uh, version three watch just six months ago, they came out with a new one. <laughs> And my wife, who's been poo-pooing the idea of having a, an Apple Watch for years since I've had, had mine, I really like the version 3. It, it, the battery is much better. The screen is better. But the version 4, which just was announced uh, this month, is actually a fairly major improvement medical-wise. Because I think for an older person such as us, one of the things that it will do is keeps track of your heart, as she mentioned. And it will alert people if you have an arrhythmia. Or if you fall down. Well, that's the other thing, is, is that it has uh, multiple sensors, and it will sense if you fall down or if you have a heart attack. And it will automatically call, well, 911, or it will call emergency numbers or your contact whatever list, you put in there. whatever you put in to, to have it contact. And that's that's a fairly nice feature for a thing that's on your watch. Plus, it has an ECG uh, monitor so that it will monitor you. <laughs> of course, doctors are not going to like this at all, because well, you can take a reading of your heart rate and... And bring it into your doctor. You can send it to him by email, so you can do that three times a day and send it to your doctor and bother them big time. And of course, <laughs> as as with all devices such as this, they work better for some people than others, and people have gotten a lot of false alarms, uh, so people like me who tend to fly off the handle and over-respond yes. could be wearing out our welcome well, and this is a problem with, with devices that are going to be more and more on your wrist and more and more monitoring Because it. it's in your face. Right. Even well, and no, and, and you can do it. You don't have to go to the doctor to do it. You could just take an ECG and just it'll just do it. Well, now that I'm old, I take my blood pressure often with a for device, often. but I still have to put it on. I mean, there it's just on your wrist all the time. Yeah, well, this doesn't measure blood pressure. Though. Oh. I think the Samsung or somebody has one that measures your blood oxygen. Hmm. So that so, but this measures your heart rhythm, and, and it measures if your heart is going too fast. Arrhythmias. Arrhythmia. will check that out. Uh, and along the technology line, you know that we put in and are using for the first time our new head-end radio, and it has. Oh, I've installed the. Uh, dash cam, which is very nice uh, dash cam because it's uh, attached to the dash radio so that I'm using the screen, the 7-inch screen on the radio, the dash head end, in order to view the uh, dash cam. And so it makes it much easier to view because it's close and the camera is in the window and so I can see it and you can control all the features of the camera from the screen. And of course the other thing it has, which we've had a very good time using, is she laughing at me? No, I'm not sure where you're going with this. <laughs> is the Apple CarPlay. Apple CarPlay is now even more enhanced because with version 12 of the iOS, she's rolling her eyes at me. I, did I roll my eyes at you when you talk about this medical stuff? No, but I'm thinking about the new iOS installation and how I fared when I did it. That's well, why I rolled my eyes. You haven't had any trouble with the iOS. iOS. You had trouble with the macOS. macOS. Anyway, so we've been using... Uh, the Apple CarPlay, which um, I was going to buy a mount for my phone for the Dash because I think, well, because I want my phone up there because if I'm going to play podcasts and things through the phone, then I want to have it up on the Dash. But with CarPlay, you don't really have to have that because the screen, the big giant screen mimics the uh, phone screen, and so you have all your apps right there which is very cool. And with the new iOS 12, which I was going to say a minute ago until I got eye-rolling from the other side of the table, the new iOS 12 has the capability to play non-Apple apps. So you can play Pandora and other podcast apps that that are not part of the Apple system. Now, if I have an Android, I can't use Apple? You can't use Apple, but they have another system which is built They're in, which I haven't used it. But this has, the, the only issue is is that uh, my system, um, I have to actually plug it in with a USB. So my phone has to be plugged into the head end. Uh, my understanding is the new ones do it with Bluetooth. Oh, my Nessus. <laughs> You have I just, I just, it has Bluetooth and it plays podcasts with Bluetooth. We've done that, but it doesn't do the 
Apple CarPlay with uh-huh. Bluetooth. Bluetooth. So you have to plug the phone in. But the nice thing is, is I can just plug it in and leave it sit on the floor or any place, and I don't have to look at the the iPhone screen because it's all right there. And of course, you can talk on the phone, and you can look at the contacts, and you can read read on the screen all of your podcasts and things that you have while you're driving. Well, your wife can do it. It has a remote control, so your wife can do it, too. Only she can't see the screen because it's facing you. Well, she needs. I can't help that. That's where it's built in. But yeah. if she was to move her head just a little bit, it might just happen. Then I'd see the glare. Those of you who aren't lucky enough to have all these handy newfangled devices still might want to put your uh, phone or your iPad on your dashboard so you can use it to navigate. And we're going to attach to um, the magnetic mount WizGear universal stick-on, which uses magnetism. A little thing you glue on your dashboard? I Is guess that how so, that yeah. Works? I'm not quite sure how this works, but um, it gets very good reviews. And, and can you can take your device off and on. On very easily and it holds on nice and tight. So, the poor man's option to Apple CarPlay. <laughs> well, most many radios these days have uh, Bluetooth, so and we found the Bluetooth to work pretty well. The nice thing about with Siri is, is that you can just say, "Play This American Life," and it does. You don't have to actually navigate. You can just you can talk keep your to eyes it. on the road. You can keep your eyes on the road because there's a microphone with my dash radio. We are about to buy new iPhones, too. By the next time you hear this, well, maybe not mm-hmm. next time, but mm-hmm. in December we're going to buy new iPhones, and everybody has to have a protector screen for their iPhone don't they? Oh, yes. I learned that very early in the iPhone business when I had my phone in my bike bag and I fell over and it fell out on the gravel. Right. And it was really gouged, but it was just the protector. Yes. It was gouged. That was so And happy. for years, they've just had these protectors that are plastic and they get bubbles under them um, unless you're really talented at putting it on. We've had it done at the store and they've done a pretty good job, but when we try to put them on, they just don't work very well. But one of the things I've learned recently, and I had an experience with is my new camera, which my other cameras, I just put them in my pocket and didn't put a screen protector on the LCD, and it would get scratched. Ah, what a surprise, especially my keys and all sorts of other junk in my pocket. Um, So this time I bought a screen protector, but I bought one that was tempered glass. And when I looked at it, I said, tempered glass? I mean, glass is shatter breaks breaks and it's thick and how do you attach it to the screen and blah 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 so i decided to give it a try and it came and it was very thin it didn't bend very easily which is okay because it's going to go on to the lcd screen but it's very clear and once you clean your lcd screen thoroughly it goes on very easy without bubbles and because it's completely flat it stays flat uh it really looks good and it doesn't seem to come off or anything so i'm thinking that this is what I'm going to get for my next iPhone too is the tempered glass um, and I think all the manufacturers are going to come out with this tempered glass as a is a better solution for protecting your screens and of course it just pops off I don't know whether they break. I didn't break it. Um, it. It had a little bit of give to it, but I didn't uh, bend it at all like you might with a piece of plastic. But it seemed to go on, and it seems to work pretty well. So that I'm happy with, and you might want to give it a try, too, if you're getting a new phone. And we will give you a further report when we get our new phones, because which of the new iPhones are you getting? I'm not sure. They're all too big. Which color? I don't care. Red? I don't care. Green? I always put a cover on. I don't know what color the phone I have now is because I've got a cover on it. I want it to fit in my pocket, which is always a problem because my pockets are too full of me. So you want a smaller iPhone? Yes. But there is no Why are you getting a new one? Because Your this one? one is really poor battery. One of the things that's interesting is, is that uh, we looked at Martha's current phone, which is an iPhone 8, I think, and we looked at it and compared it to the new one, and the new one is physically about the same size, but the screen is much larger. Mm-hmm. So you get well, much more screen real estate. I don't do a lot of composing or reading on my phone, yeah. so I don't care. So she just doesn't care. But I do care as an RV traveler about cell phone coverage, and we're going to include a link to some information about which choices are the best, and it certainly confirms experiences that we have had ourselves. Uh, I remember a time when we were Sprint users because Sprint was such a good cell phone provider in the area where we lived, but I can remember a long drive across Montana and South Dakota without any phone coverage at all. 
Yes. And then we went to AT&T, and I can remember a a holiday we had in Maine where we had to keep borrowing our friend's phone because we had no coverage, except it kept wanting to connect to Canada. Canada. These experiences have taught us that for now, and these things do change, that Verizon is by far the best choice overall. And certainly this will vary depending on where you are, and if you don't travel around as much as we do, you might find a different answer for yourself. But in terms of covering the whole United States and Alaska? Yes. Um, Well, now I don't know about Alaska. (laughs) We had trouble with Verizon in Alaska. Anyway, Verizon, it says here in this chart, has basic over 81% of the United States is covered by 4G. AT&T, 66%. T-Mobile, 58%. And Sprint, 29%. So Sprint is easy to get really unlimited high-speed data. Unfortunately, if you can only use it in 29% of the physical part of the United States, that's You better a big be problem. in the right place. So there's this trade-off. Verizon is the most expensive, but the best coverage. Uh, and there's a nice chart here which you can refer to on the link that I'm going to provide on the rvnavigator.com webpage for this episode number 261. <gasps> no, 161. 162. What episode is this? You numbered it. I saw it up yes, here. Yes, it's two, 262. No, it's not. It's 162. As baby boomers, we are used to always being the dominant force old, in, old, old in terms of consumerism and retail and uh, culture. And it's becoming more and more clear to us old, that we are passe. And um, until fairly the recently, doesn't care about us anymore. we were the premier buyers of RVs, which made sense to me because when you're old and retired, you have time to use an RV and are more inclined to buy one and more expensive ones. see the country as you've always wanted to do. But uh, the statistics we're seeing these days is that we are rapidly being replaced by the age millennials below us and in terms of buying big motorhomes like we have. And then there's a very substantial group of millennials that are doing a lot more RVing and camping in, in teeny tiny rigs and living a more tiny home kind of life. Well, we should say that overall, as you probably already know, the RV industry is going gangbusters. Uh, Last year, there was a 12 percent increase in the sales of RVs, and of course that was on top of a 20% sales increase for the previous year. So 2017, 2018, 2019 are expected to be record-breaking years in terms of RV sales. So that's good news, uh, unless you're trying to get a campsite. We've talked about this before. And I do worry a bit about new rigs being produced, uh, being impacted by all the tariffs on steel and aluminum yeah, well, that, could, uh, that are being have been put into effect and haven't yet found their way to the markets. So we'll see what that does to things. But the interesting thing is, is that when you look down the, at the breakdown between different kinds of RVs that are being sold, the Class A, like we have, the big motorhome, has gone up only 1.4742%, whereas the Class Bs, which are the small motorhomes that are on a, a van chassis, have gone up uh, 33%. And Class Cs, which are also much smaller than what we have, have gone up 22%. So those two categories, of RVs, which are probably bought by millennials or aging baby boomers, people looking to downsize, uh, have increased the most. And uh, travel trailers and fifth wheels are in the 10 to 12 percent, whereas camping trailers, which has always been the kind of the entry level of the RVing industry, uh, the tent trailers, have gone down. And park models have gone down, and truck campers have gone down for the year in terms of sales. So we see that the B's and the C's are really taking over the industry. Where it's at. Or where it's at in terms of the industry. And we look at the ages of the RV buyer, and wow. If you're 55 to 64, 27.5% of the sales are to people in that age category. And maybe they're able to retire a bit early. But uh, as it goes down, 45 years old, 45 to 55 is 22%, and 35 to 44 years is is almost 20%. So between 35 and 65, they're buying about uh, 60% of the RVs being sold. 
So young families are having a, trouble, a difficult time, but uh, we definitely see lots of millennials in the ca- in the category. And I think this biggest ca- category is what I would think of as empty nesters, younger Probably. than us, but yeah, that could well be no longer having children living with them. We talk about the uh, the industry make different kinds of RVs, but how about Tesla making a electric RV? That's a semi RV. Here's the out, picture out there. Out there, yes. But there really is one. But there really is one. No, this is an artist's rendering. But it is a picture of a potential electric RV. Ah. And then, to end up the show, we have an exciting new song on YouTube. The best damn camping song ever. And you're going to get to hear it by clicking on the link to the RV Navigator webpage for this month. Oh, you're not going to put it in part of the podcast? Well, it's it's a YouTube you can't record it? I could. Oh. Well, we'll see what happens at the end of the podcast. <laughs> How ambitious I am. We already had technical difficulties just getting oh, to this yes, point. We did. So this month we are uh, on our way in about uh, a week or two to Europe where we will be uh, making the next podcast because we will be on that uh, route for the month of October. And we'll, we'll be on the high seas. We'll be back with you. Well, we'll be making a podcast, but we'll hopefully we can post it, and hopefully it will be available. We've done okay on ships lately. Yes, we have. The, the Wi-Fi has been much improved, and we've been able to upload the podcast. And then we will be back home, uh, back here at TGO in Florida uh, in November. Where it'll hopefully not be 100 degrees and 100% humidity. It will humidity. be more the winter forecast that we are expecting. Last year, it, it gets cool down here. In Last January, year, I've worn long sleeves and long pants. It's right. And in the morning, we have, the morning we've had the, the furnace on, and we didn't use the air conditioner for the virtually the whole winter. So this has been an eye-opening experience. As you travel the country, this is one of the things you learn is about the differences in weather, and we are certainly experiencing it this year. When it comes to use it or lose it, our ACs have never gotten such a workout. That's true, and they, but it's working good. So yes. we're, we're in good shape. With 50 amps, she's in good shape, <laughs> and we can keep ourselves cool. So with that, we will end it up for the month, and we will hopefully turn it over to you and hope to hear from you in the not-too-distant future. We have heard from several of you, and we've had to turn some people down about renting our campsite for the month. We only have two. We only have two, and uh, right now we are full up for January, February, and March. So if you'd like to come down to Florida in April, we can Or September. I'm never coming here again in September. Right, but now it is interesting that the renter on our site right now is from Florida. And came here to camp on our site. And thinks it's great. And thinks it's great. He thinks of this as a vacation because this is the weather that they that they consider normal. Yeah. Us Midwesterners do not consider this war, this weather normal, but yeah. So that, you have to take everything we say with a grain of salt. And with a, that, it comes from a couple of wimps from the, the Midwest. So we will not well, complain anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we have complained quite a lot. Wine, wine, wine. <laughs> It's such a tough life. So we hope to see you on a cruise ship near us. That's right. Happy travels. Bye now. Well, a YouTube video popped up on my phone. Promised quality. And I could build my own attention to detail. Well, it was in their plan. Thought if I bought it for you, that I would be your man. Now I spend every day and I'm up all night, worried about all the stuff they missed. And I can tell when I look in your eyes, I think you might be a little pissed. Baby, can you forgive me for buying our fifth wheel from the RV factory? Please forgive me.